0: Good to see you all this morning, hope you have having a good day so far. If you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to the book of Revelation, which is at the back of your Bible, the last book uh, in your Bible, and uh, we've been working through uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3 over the last few weeks, which uh, has within it seven, seven letters uh, written by Jesus to seven churches, seven churches that would have existed 2,000 years ago and what we would now know is modern day Turkey. And we are gonna read the last letter to you today and then I'll pray and then we'll look at it and see what Jesus has to say to us together. So I'm gonna read from verse 14 of Revelation chapter three uh, through to Verse 22 says this, and so the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Would, the, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white white garments so that you may clothe yourself I'll grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let me pray. Jesus, we wanna hear your words to us today, even words that uh, appear harsh, strong or emotive, we want to hear your voice speak to us. We want to, uh, beyond anything that's going on around us, anything that's going on in our lives, anything that's happening in our in our hearts, even this morning. Above and beyond any of that, we want to hear your voice as the most powerful voice into our life, because it's a voice that brings healing and wholeness and hope. It brings your joy and your love and we we desperately want to experience that today so we just ask Holy Spirit right now that you would just come to us just as Jess was already leading us that you would just quiet our hearts just to come and hear what you have to say to us that you would speak to us and do us good today we pray in Jesus name amen as we've been working through these different letters to these different cities, this one may be the most familiar to you if you're a Christian here this morning, if you've read this book of Revelation before, if you've been around in churches, you probably have heard this message preached the most often. It's probably the most familiar to us, partly maybe just because it's the last one, but also because I think in many ways this city of Laodicea and the, the issues that Jesus is bringing up are probably the most, uh, have the closest link. They speak most powerfully, perhaps, into, into the society that we live, into the world that we live in, even into the city, the, the culture that we live in. There's a famous expression I've heard a couple of times since living here in Amsterdam that God created the world, but the Dutch made the Netherlands. Which is true, the Dutch have been incredibly ingenious and it's such a, it's such a weird privilege to live in a, in a city, in a nation which really should be underwater or should be very swamp-like. The first house we lived in here in the city, we were four meters below sea level, which seems, seems pretty weird, but here it feels completely normal because we're in control, we've, we've, we've tamed nature. We're in control of everything that's around us. And that's something that we very much enjoy the privilege of. But that can be a very dominant message in the world around us. And is sort of Jesus' message to this church here. That they'd become self-sufficient. That they were rich. That they were prosperous. That they didn't need anything. At least that's how they felt. And that can be very much the sort of the goal, the aim of our life, to get to a place of self-sufficiency, to get to a place where I don't really need anything. All the time, that's the sort of call around us, to, to not rely on other people, because that would be weak. To not rely on handouts or help, that would be a, a vulnerable position to be in. We should rely only on our on ourselves. And increasingly, we're, t- we're told not just to be self-sufficient, but we're led all the time to sort of self-author our lives, to create and sustain and build our own identity. that what we think about ourselves, or what we want ourselves to be, is the most important thing. that the narrative, the story of our life, we're to write, we're to decide. That's the message that is bombarded to us all the time. Even just coming here this morning, I was standing at a a tram stop and there was this big advert saying, you can make the change. You can make the change. I can change the world. I can do everything. And I looked closely at this advert to see what it was for. And it was for banana bread, which I don't know what that has to do with changing the world, but there you go. Banana bread is apparently the way forward, which is weird because it's disgusting. (laughs) Anyway... All the time we're we're told to live with this idea of self-creation, self-authorship, self-sufficiency. To be fully human, to be completely you, to sort of live this human existence perfectly is to fully own our self to take ownership of who we are, our identity, our achievements, our needs. But Jesus, in this letter here to this church in Laodicea, in this letter to us today, he sees through our pride. Because that's really all that that amounts to, it's pride. And he sees straight through it. And as we've read, he uses very strong language he says, I know your works. Jesus does know us so well. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're a wretched pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. See, Jesus, he sees our our kind of outward appearance, the identity we've created, the life story that we're trying to write. But he says, no, I know your works. I know what you're really like. I've seen that you're not, Hot or cold, you're lukewarm. In a sense, he's saying, you're, you're, "The fruit that you're producing is is useless. It's, it has no no benefit to us." And so often we can live the same. We can we can live for success, forgetting that as Christians we're not called to be successful. We're called to live faithfully and fruitfully to honour God with our with our lives. It has a very different goal in mind. And he's not interested with our, our outward appearance, but inwardly our, our motives, our desires, our heart. Now you might hear Jesus' language and think, why does Jesus hate this so much? Why does he seem so angry towards this church when he says, I will spit you out of my mouth? That's actually a, quite a polite English translation. What he actually says is, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's the best way to actually translate that verse. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. This is harsh words from Jesus. Why is he speaking so harshly? Well, there's a couple of clues in the text. First of all, in verse one, Jesus has said that he's the amen, the faithful true witness, the beginning of God's creation. See, Jesus Although we might like to think we are self-authoring our lives, he's the one that has authored humanity. He's designed each one of us. And he's designed what full humanity is supposed to look like. What your best life is supposed to be. What it really means to be a human. Jesus has designed what that's supposed to look like. He's created that. He's mapped that out and it can be very tempting to feel that that to be obedient to Jesus to read this book and to follow out in your life to with what you decide to do with your with your body with your possessions with your money with all of your life to be obedient to Jesus in those things there's a lie that springs into our head that says that that would somehow Compromise your true self. To be obedient to Jesus with my whole life, to follow what he's laid out for us, would be a compromise to fullness of life, to being my true self. But that's completely not true. It's important that you hear that this morning. It's not true. That Jesus has, he's written out, he's authored, he's He's created us for a reason, for a purpose. And He's created us for abundant life. That's that's what what Jesus said in John chapter 10 that he's, He's come, that Jesus came to us to give us life in its fullness, life in its abundance. That the best life that you can live, the fullest of humanity that you can experience is in Jesus Christ. It's in living your life in obedience to him. So that isn't any way a compromise to your true self, but it's actually realising what he's actually made you for. Jesus has authored humanity. Secondly, to be a Christian, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus... To be a Christian means that Jesus has brought you with a price. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 6. That in a sense Jesus owns you. It's kind of strong, provocative language. In the, the Heidelberg Catechism, if you've ever read a catechism, there were a list of questions and answers, a list of statements summing up what the Christian faith is. And the Heidelberg Catechism is one of the most famous of them. And question number one asks, what is your only comfort in life and death? Which is an important question to ask. What is my only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I'm not my own which is completely counter to what the world says. The world says to us that our, our only comfort in life and death is that we are our own, that we get to decide, that we get to determine our future. We get to plan, to map out what our life can be. We get to dream and live out our identity. And as Jesus says to us, no, your, your only comfort is that you're not your own, that you weren't created for some kind of self governance from some kind of self-creation that there's a creator that's made you for him that's your life purpose that's what he's created you for for him and that's not supposed to be a restrictive thing to limit you and lock you down that's supposed to be a liberating releasing thing that jesus has made you to know fullness in him And that he's brought us with a price. And anything less than that is actually something less than true humanity. So what I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at is from this passage and just seeing what what does it really mean to know this full humanity? If everything I've said is true, if if rather than self-authoring our lives, trying to find our identity, identity in ourselves, if we really trust Jesus for our life, if we really trust him to shape everything about our life, if we're to trust him with our identity, with our bodies, with our hearts, with our possessions, with our money, if we're to give everything to him, if we're to really say that I'm not my own, that I was brought with a price, what does that look like? What does it look like to have full humanity in Jesus? Well, firstly, we get to enjoy his priceless grace, number one. You get to enjoy his priceless grace. See, Jesus comes to them in verse 18, and although he said to them that they, you know, that they think they're rich, they're prospered, they need nothing, but actually they're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. He says to them, I counsel you to buy from me. And he's using language that, that they've been familiar with. This city of Laodicea was a, was a trading city. People would come there to trade goods, to build up wealth. So he's trying to use language that would appeal to them. He says, buy to me, buy from me, gold refined by fire you may, so that you may be rich. White garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salves to anoint your eyes so that you may see. See, Jesus comes, and where we might be trying to build up riches, he sees our spiritual poverty, our lack, and he wants you to exchange that for his riches. So what it is to know Jesus, to know his grace, is to not, give up earthly possessions and then just take on a kind of a a kind of a, a hermit life living away in the wilderness eating berries and grapes he's saying no there's there's riches in Christ that he wants you to enjoy take you bring all our bring all our spiritual poverty to him and we get his riches and he sees our 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 shame He sees our nakedness and he promises us his white garments so that we can clothe ourselves. See, Jesus sees all our pride, all our attempts to cover up our lives. where we might know the rottenness inside and we try and dress ourselves, we try and live with an image of prosperity. Jesus sees through all of that. And he offers us his white garments, this beautiful picture of his unconditional love and forgiveness in exchange. And for our blindness, for our delusion, he wants to come and clean our eyes today. That's what Jesus wants to come and do with you this morning. He wants to take where you're feeling just a lack He wants to come and give you his riches. Where you're feeling perhaps just shame, guilt. He wants to clothe you with his grace, with his white garments. He wants to to come and clean you from the inside out. He wants us to experience his priceless grace. Secondly, we get to receive The deep affection of fatherly restoration. See, verse 19 is Jesus explains why he uses such harsh language, why he says he's going to spit them, vomit them out of his mouth. He says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Those whom he loves, he reproves, he disciplines. It's like a, like a loving father because he is a loving father that God wants to come and sometimes he does reprove us he does discipline us talks about in Romans that it's always his kindness that leads us to repentance see whenever God steps into your life to try and fix something it's not because he's trying to hurt you to palm you he's not trying to make your life painful or difficult he wants to restore you he's like a he's like a grand architect that's, that's walked into, the, into your home and he sees all the, the wallpaper coming off the walls the damp in the corner that needs fixing, the roof that's caving in everything of your life that's a mess and little by little he'll restore it he'll work out his grand design to to fix you from the inside out and if if you're aware even this morning of maybe you're feeling the force of Jesus' words you're aware of the spiritual poverty in your life you're aware of shame in your life you're aware of just lukewarmness where You've not really been living with any motivation to serve Jesus in any way. If you're feeling that, well, that's good news because it means he's at work. It means, it means he loves you. It says here, those whom I love, I've reprove and discipline. If you're feeling the, a sense of coming under the discipline of God this morning, it's because he loves you. It's because he wants to come and fix you, to restore you, to shower you of his grace. We can receive the deep affection of his fatherly restoration. And thirdly, we can know his remarkable patience. It says at the start of verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I love how, how Jesus explains himself there. I stand at the door and, and knock. There's a passage in, the, in so- Song, of Solomon's which, Song of Solomon which will explain this very well. Song of Solomon is a peculiar but beautiful little book in the Bible. And in, in chapter 5 it says this. It's a story about how the bride searches for her beloved. It's a story about how Jesus loves his church effectively. It says this in verse two I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is white with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. It's this picture that this kind of poem is painting of of God standing at the door, knocking. But here in Song of Solomon, he's, his head is wet with dew, his locks with the drops of the night. It's, he's been knocking all night long. <laughs> he's, he's been waiting for you to let him in all night. Such a, a beautiful, vivid picture of how Jesus works that he comes to you with Patience. If you don't know Jesus, if you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of him, he's standing at the door, he's, he's waiting. And he's been so patient with you and he'll continue to be patient with you. His love towards us is always, always patient. It says in Romans 15 that he is the God of patience. That he's, he's, he knows better than any of us what that is. As a father, my patience with my children is is limited there's moments where it runs out it runs short where i've just had enough where i can't deal with any more crying or complaining or arguments about toast or whatever the latest issue is in my home. but he's always patient with us for you believer today he's patient with you with the issues in your life that you know need to get fixed but you just keep walking in the wrong direction again and again. Where you have been trying to self-author your life, where you have kept Jesus at bay and you've wanted to go your own way, he's so patient with you that he'll come after you again and again. It's like a, a lover pursuing his bride because that's exactly what he is. He's your lover that will pursue you Again and again and again. He's so patient with us. Number four, not only get to we know, do we get to know his remarkable patience, we get to experience his tender friendship. So in the rest of verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. See, again, such an amazing picture of Jesus' love towards us. That If we hear his voice, if we open the door, he doesn't, although I use this picture of this architect coming into a home to fix things, it's not that we open the door and he comes in with his plans and you know his sledgehammer to knock down a few walls, his paintbrush to start painting over things, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. At least not straight away. <laughs> the first thing that Jesus wants to do is he wants to come in and eat. To sit with you. To, to be with you. To enjoy fellowship. To enjoy relationship with you. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus is that he wants to come in. He wants to make his home in you, in your life. He wants, he wants you to invite him in to all the mundane things of your life, all, all the nitty-gritty bits, all the small things, your budgeting, your grocery shopping, what you want to do with your career, the disagreements you have with your co workers, your hopes, your ambitions, all the big things, all the little things of your life. He wants to be part of it. He wants to come and sit at your table and eat with you and to discuss all these things. He wants to come and be involved in all of that. In John 14, it, it says this. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. See, Jesus is just repeating in Revelation 3 what he's saying here, that Jesus wants to come in and he wants to make his home, his place of being. uh, Our home is supposed to be the most intimate place that we have in our life. It's the place that you feel safe. You know, out in your workplace, out in the streets, you might feel vulnerable. You might feel at least not able to fully relax. But at home, you put on your sweatpants, you know. (laughs) You put on your dress, whatever you want to do to relax. You eat your comfort food. At home, you're just yourself. Perhaps the only place where you really are yourself is when you're at home. But God wants to come and be with you there. He wants you to be yourself with him, to be who you really are with him and invite him in to come and shape you, to change you. He wants you to experience just tender friendship with him. And John in this book, he's not, playing down the holiness of God. Sometimes we can do that. We can talk so much about the friendship of God that we forget his holiness. He's not doing that at all. Because number five, he wants us to join in royal partnership with him. It says in verse 21, the one who conquers, I'll grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. That's such an amazing picture. The one who conquers, I'll grant him to sit with me on my throne. That's incredible. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus, is that we get to join, we get to be sons and daughters in his kingdom, as co-heirs with Christ, as kings and queens in the kingdom of God. That's what it is for you, believer, to know Jesus he doesn't invite you into dinner and then sit you at the far end of the table. When we get my whole family together, we're going to do that at Christmas time, me, my brothers and sisters, mums and dads, all the kids. There's loads of us, I forget how many. But we can't sit all around one table anymore. So the kids will, put, will find some little table, probably out in the garden somewhere, just, just in the shed, don't make too much noise, throw some scraps of food out there. It's not like that with Jesus. You don't come, he doesn't shush you to the end of the table. He doesn't put you in one of the sort of outer rooms. He wants you to come and sit on his throne with him, to join in this royal relationship with him. See, Jesus wants you to, to open the door, to invite him into your life, to, to partner with you, in all the things of your life, to not try and self-author to write your own story, but just to invite him in on all of it, every single part of it. But in exchange, he calls us into this royal partnership with him. See, we're, we're not our own. We have been brought with a price. But the really good news is that we're his that's the, the true, that's what makes that statement so wonderfully powerful. We're not our own, we're his. So much better, so much more powerful, so much more releasing that because of his remarkable grace poured out for us, he's won us into this deep, profound relationship with him. I'm gonna pray and then Jesse's gonna come and lead us in communion and the banding and lead us in worship um, why don't you just stand up together if you're happy to do that? Let me just pray for us. Jesus, we just We just wanna come and confess to you this morning that in so many different ways that we've 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 tried to live this life of perfect self sufficiency that we've wanted to sort of self author to to write our own story to do things independent of you, to say, oh, I don't need Jesus, because I'm all right, but yet you know what we're really like. You see through all the lies and the blindness and our delusion, and you discipline and you reprove us, but out of your love, because what you want us to know is you want us to know full humanity, you want us to know life at its best, and life at its best is with you, enjoying your the riches of your grace, enjoying your remarkable patience with us, enjoying the tender friendship that we have with you, knowing this wonderful partnership you've called us into in the kingdom of God. We just want to submit our lives and hearts to you today and say, God, would you would you have your way within us? Help us just to, to declare that, that we, we're not our own, that we've been brought with a price, but we're yours. We belong to Jesus now. What a wonderful privilege. Amen. Amen.
1: Stay standing. We're gonna continue now. Uh, with more opportunities to keep reflecting on what we've just heard. Uh, the first way we're going to do that is uh, to share in communion together. There's um, some uh, little cups with bread in them um, up the front here. So uh, during the next song, just whenever you're ready, come and grab one of those if you're a believer in Jesus. Uh, if you if you don't believe in Jesus or you're not sure, we just ask that you sit that moment of the meeting out. It's a moment to reflect on what we believe in Jesus. If you'd like to um, become a Christian, that door is always open to you. Um, Please come and chat to Matt who just spoke to us or Dan up the back or anyone you've seen um, up here. We'd love to pray with you and talk to you about that. So it's not an exclusive club, uh, but communion is a moment to uh, reflect on the reality of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, To help us do that, I just thought I would remind us of those verses Matt just preached uh, in the middle of what Jesus has offered to us and it's part of what we celebrate in his in his death. Um, and this is obviously symbolic, but um, yeah, Matt unpacked it for us so beautifully. So he offers us gold refined by fire that we might be rich. He offers us white garments to cover our shame. And he offers us salve to anoint our eyes so that we might see. And uh, Jesus is made all of that possible for us uh, when he died on the cross. And that's what this symbolic meal reminds us of, that his blood was shed for us, his body was broken for us, that we might just be able to receive and have friendship with him and have peace with God. So that's what we're celebrating. Uh, You can take it in your own time as we worship together. Uh, You don't need to wait for a special moment. Uh, Feel free to pray with uh, the person next to you Uh, or spend a moment on your own. And the band's going to lead us in worship. So that's another opportunity to just keep reflecting. So I invite you to do both those things.